Hi, I'm here with Michael Merchett and um, <laughs> and Brad Northcutt. Did I did I pronounce Merchett right? Did I pronounce that right? You got it right the second time, Merchett. So M B R S H O T. Yeah. Okay. Is how to Mershot. think of it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and we're here with I've never met a woman architect before podcast with Michelle Hoddle. I'm Michelle Hoddle, and here I am, and. I am going to uh, first introduce Michael. Michael grew up on a farm in the Blue Ridge Mountains outside Asheville, North Carolina. After graduating from the University of Tennessee College of Architecture and Design, he moved up to Washington, D.C. to pursue his career in architecture. He currently serves as the AIA Potomac Valley Chairperson in the Capital Area Custom Residential Architecture Network. After two decades of city life, Michael returned home and found renewed connection with the land and rural community of his youth. He believes that we have an opportunity to bring thoughtful design principles into every home, effortlessly, effortlessly blending the natural flow of the land with modern architecture. Thank you, Michael. Hello. <laughs> Brad was born and raised in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He attended the University of Tennessee School of Architecture in 1996-2001. During that time, he also played in the Pride of the Southland Marching Band and was a member of the UT men's rowing and volleyball club teams. During his sophomore year, he was part of a design-build partnership between the UT School of Architecture and the Chattanooga Neighborhood Enterprise. This firsthand exposure to construction materials and methods heavily influenced his approach to architecture and design, and he interned with builders during the summers of architecture school and worked as a carpenter and custom fabricator on a historic residential design build project in Chattanooga, following graduation to further his understanding of construction practices in the design realm. He moved to Nashville in 2002 to pursue a more formal career in architecture with his primary focus on single and multifamily urban infill, as well as local restaurants, bars, and boutique retail. During this time in Nashville, he was involved in a number of young professional organizations and neighborhood community advocacy groups, as well as playing competitive volleyball, both beach and indoors, for 15 years. He also personally renovated and restored two historic homes in Nashville, a 1930s bungalow and 1910 Victorian. Um, in 2017, he returned to Chattanooga and joined a newly formed architecture firm, Tinkerma. His current focus is on high-end single-family homes, along with hospitality projects, including boutique hotels, locally owned restaurant bars, and golf course amenity buildings, such as clubhouses and event spaces. <coughs> Excuse me. He has been with his wife, Anna, for six years since moving back to Chattanooga and has two stepchildren, Bennett, eight years old, and Anna, Blaine, 12 years old. His current hobbies are fishing at every opportunity, golf, and time with the family, finding memorable adventure activities such as zip lining over gator ponds, scuba diving, indoor skydiving, and zorbing? Zorbing? And more zorbing, fishing. Yes, that's right. Zorbing. Okay. Okay. And I guess we'll get into what zorbing is. Um, so, welcome, you know, my, I'm welcoming you both. Uh, it's great to, great to, uh, you know, see you guys here. I met you both last year, I believe, at the CRAN in um, in Chicago. Um, and I know that you both went to school together. And so that was kind of a great thing. I think I also met Michael through Entre Architect also. Is that true? I, I think at that time we figured out 
we yeah, were okay. connected through that as well. Um, okay. And I had followed you, I think, on some of the old uh, Archie's uh, Archie Talks. Um, oh, yeah, the blogs. blogs. Yeah, yeah, that was, yeah. The, I think it was a Bob Borson thing before. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Okay, so Michael is going to uh, speak first. What are your first recollections of experiencing architecture? Um, you know, I think, you know, growing up as, you know, where I grew up and, um, you know, having, didn't, there wasn't like a lot of like grand architecture or anything that was really ever pointed out to me. It was sort of like our house was the architecture, you know, and I, and I, I came to appreciate that and, look back on all of its quirks now that we have that that was there um and just how uh my you know i think when i was born it was probably we had plywood floors that we sort of you know migrated that through from plywood to some carpet and then finally some hardwood in it uh over over the years and um just you know you know fixing another room getting another thing completed as as we went through and it's slowly you know come along to being you know, mostly finished, I think even now. Um, and that was sort of like, you know, architecture, this shelter, this home, this, you know, comfort that was given there. And I think a lot of that is a credit to my parents and what it was. Um, and also just experiencing a lot of the farm structures um, that we had in Western North Carolina. You know, our the little town I grew up in was, um, you know, a heavy dairy and uh, tobacco uh growing area and so uh the old tobacco barns are some of just the most fascinating things because you kind of have to be able to almost climb up in it from practically any spot and be able to hang you know little leaves in there and stuff like that and so that was and it just had really interesting light going through there but also at the same time you know it was open so it dried but at the same time it stayed quite dry inside so there was just that necessity of, of keeping things uh, of, of making an air feel, you know, an open space, but at the same time also mm -hmm. keeping it really dry. Um, but I think, it, you know, really where I first noticed, noticed architecture was on my eighth grade trip to DC. We, um, you know, we, we, you know, it was like, you see all the Capitol buildings and all of the stuff in the Smithsonian and like, none of that like jumped out at me. What jumped out at me was we were driving up Massachusetts Avenue in the bus and we go past the National Cathedral and looking up and seeing just the, the stained glass rose window there was truly like the first moment where I, I was like, wow, that's architecture. Like that, that sort of rung true is something I hadn't witnessed or seen before. And it was uh, just a really special memory in my mind. And I think uh, then, you know, years later, making it up to DC and my apartment actually overlooked Glover Park, which is a little park that goes through DC and sat up on the hill from there was the National Cathedral. So I thought that was uh, a fitting tie to something that, you know, little did I know in the eighth grade, I'd see this and then, you know, be living across from it. Um, yeah. You know, gosh, probably yeah. 20 some odd years mm -hmm. later or something. So. Yeah. Yeah, I went on my daughter's eighth grade field trip. I think we were the first and last year that they allowed uh, parents on this. <laughs> we didn't have any parents go. That, that was the one thing I do remember. There were, I think it was just extra teacher chaperones. <laughs> there were, uh, like, 
one of the other moms and I, we were the only one from our school. It was like the other school that was kind of like the party school. The moms were like partying in the thing. I, I wasn't, I was like going to sleep. I was like exhausted. By that. Yeah. <laughs> Being with everybody else's kids is like, oh my God. Well, this um, was, this was when you were in Pittsburgh, right? When you no, went, no, I wasn't in eighth grade. It was, um, oh, my daughter was in oh, eighth grade. I got you. I got you. Yeah, 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 this is in California. Yeah. So, okay. yeah, so the red eye back, and you know, we have different last names. So, I had to like sit in between somebody else's kids, and you know, it's like, you know, and I mean, I jokingly say, like, oh, yeah, I got from that trip, I knew exactly which girls were going to be pregnant, like in high school or out of there from that. And I was pretty accurate, too. So, <laughs> it's like, yeah. There's always the soothsaying thing if we have to go there. Well, they were, all, yeah, yeah, they're, I mean, right. It's like when they're, they're going to like Victoria's Secret on their, uh, on their lunch break at the thing and then telling the Smithsonian guide like, oh yeah, you know, I like this bra, but, and I was like, what, like, don't listen to the, <laughs> don't listen to the, <laughs> oh, God. don't listen to these <laughs> Right. So you, you know, you know what it ever is. I was an eighth grade boy. I was just oblivious to everything. I think. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, no, no. Yeah. Eighth grade boy. Really? Yeah. No, they were just smelly. I, on the way back, I'm like, I am not sitting next to you two. Forget it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you guys are, my daughter is sitting next to me and you are out of here. I'm not smelling you for the rest of the trip. Yeah. <laughs> on the way home. <laughs> so, uh, so, so Brad, what are your first recollections of experiencing architecture? So, um, you know, I think the, you know, but some of my first memories weren't, um, I guess, necessarily about like a architecturally significant building. And remember going to uh, San Francisco um, when I was 10 on a family vacation and um, going to Alcatraz and you know, I still vividly remember like the somber feeling of that place and how stark yeah. and brutal and, you know, that was, and, you know, a lot of it had to do with um, the, the tape recorded tour guide, you know, thing with the headphones and the somber music in the background and, you know, talking all about how the, you know, the world's worst criminals were there, you know, so it was just, you know, it was just such a strong feeling, a place, you know, combined with concrete walls and steel bars and they lock you up in a cell, you know, just to see what it feels like. And I was like, oh, shit, you know. Um, so, you know, that that stuck with me for a long time. And then uh, my sophomore year in high school, we went to uh, Germany, Austria and Switzerland on a uh, an, um, international music festival. Um, I played trombone in the concert band. And um, I remember being in this little town called Montreux, Switzerland, um, nestled on a Lake Geneva with the Swiss Alps in the background and how picturesque. I mean, it just felt like I was in a postcard, you know, so growing up in Chattanooga and Chattanooga is a beautiful city. Um, you know, in the eighties, it wasn't, um, you know, because it, it wasn't like a, an architectural bastion. So, you know, and, you know, in being younger, um, as Michael kind of alluded to, I, there were some things that I really took for granted. You know, I didn't really notice architecture. You know, I was just in my own little world. Um, you know, so getting out of town and having some having some experiences um, you know, where I was able to you know feel some things differently and kind of get out of my own bubble, I think helped uh, help me feel some things a little bit differently. Um, 
and I, I would say the most significant one would would have been um, the the same international music um, competition two years later, my senior year in high school was in Sydney, Australia. And so we got to perform in the Sydney Opera House. And, you know, so that was like, wow. this is a very well-known building. <laughs> I'm going to be doing some stuff in it. Um, you know, so again, having that brought into my world and into my bubble sort of forced me to look at things. It's like, okay, that's, um, yeah, this thing's pretty awesome, you know, and they built, you know, everything around the Harbor and everything around that opera house, you know, was, it was all about that building, um, yeah. you know, as, as the icon and the moment. So, um, yeah, it, it really, uh, yeah, that, that really kind of opened up my eyes to like, okay, there's, there's some pretty cool stuff out there. Um, you know, I just need to be able to, uh, you know, get out in the world and, you know, see it and experience it. And, you know, and in doing that, once, you know, I step back into, you know, life and whether it's in Chattanooga or Nashville and early on in my career, um, yeah, it, it helped me to kind of stop and try to take in some things that are in my everyday life, you know, and consider them a little bit differently uh, than just, you know, j- just walking past something because it's something I did every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you're the only person that I've ever met that actually played in the Sydney Opera House. Nice. Like people have given it as their favorite building, yeah. but nobody's ever said like I played in the Sydney Opera House. Well, that that's one of those things that uh, you know when you play um, like two truths and a lie that I always put yeah. in there, and yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nobody's guessing that one. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah. I didn't, yeah, that's definitely. <laughs> How did you? I mean, did you know what you were going into at for school at that point when you played at Sydney in the, the Sydney Opera House? I, I had a, I had an idea. Um, I wasn't sure if it was going to be architecture or graphic design. Um, I knew that I wanted to do something creative, um, but I just wasn't sure what avenue that would look like. But I had at that point, um, I had no art training of any kind all Mm -hmm. of my fine arts credits through high school were all through music and so you know i'd i'd never touched a pen to paper or painted anything for fun just that that had not been on my radar it was sports and music and that was about it um like but yeah like there but there was something that kind of drew me to the creative side of those things and having I was told since I was good at math that this would be a good thing to do. And, you know, sounded kind of cool. I'm not much of a reader. So law was out. And uh, I remember in uh, seventh grade biology class, I almost passed out from dissecting an earthworm. So I'm like, well, medicine's not going to do it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it kind of narrowed my field into something, you know, I wanted to do something that was kind of fun and cool and notable. And, um, you know, architecture kind of seemed to just steer its way into my lane. Yeah. I felt the same way. Like it, I did like, I did well in drafting, but understanding like actually what I was getting into, it probably wasn't truly until like third year that I've kind of grasped what it, what it was and what it meant and like what we were doing. And kind of like a lot of pretty things or stuff you'd see, but like fully grasping that, um, so I was never one of those kids that said, I, I mean, I love playing with Legos, but I was never one of those kids that said, when I played with Legos, that's, I knew I wanted to be an architect. Like that was never me. I was definitely a, uh, 
well, let's build this, knock it down, you know, and, you know, build, build a dam with some mud outside. And then I enjoyed drafting and, you know, it, and, um, had known that I had architects in my family and that was essentially it. Like I could, you know, so I think getting to Tennessee was almost like the perfect school for me because it did allow you to grow and learn from that, you know, that point and, you know, kind of took us into really caring about it and really believing in it. And I think that, that was one of the special things that I took out of out of what we got from school. Cause I feel like I came into it with like, yeah, sure. I'm going to do this. I'm going to make buildings, you know, and you, you, you know, uh, yeah, it, it, it was just an interesting experience that I've always interested to hear how people had, how their experience was. If they're like, no, no, I always knew, like, I always knew. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that was not me. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that. I was like, I love it. Thing. I love it. But it's like, I didn't, yeah. like, I did, I'm kind of like, yeah, I'm supposed to do good at well, do well at this, right? That's all I kind of knew. And not knowing what it was, but I, that was all I kind of, how I had navigated high school, you know? Um, and so that sort of yeah. was my approach coming in. And then I was like, oh, I get how, what we're doing and the the meaning and how we're creating this, these things. And, you know, I probably probably took me two years plus beginning of third. I was kind of figuring it out and understanding what it meant and how to, how it can change things, how it can change, you know, uh, public perception and everything else. It's, uh, that's, that's when it made a difference for me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad to hear you say that third year thing, because I was telling someone that recently, I have a, um, a friend who recently went back to architecture school as her second career. Um, Mm -hmm. and, you know, giving some pep talks is like, I vividly remember first year and being like, oh man, w- what is happening? <laughs> it's fairly overwhelming. Um, and there were some, um, there are some kids in my class that, you know, had known that this is what they wanted to do for a long yeah. time, whether it was something that, you know, was kind of, you know, a family thing or, you know, there, there were just some people that had been interested in it. And I was, you know, Felkin uh kind of completely overwhelmed. Um, so yeah, it took a solid two years of just fumbling through it and not understanding why when to draw a straight line, it's supposed to be squiggly. Like that's what? That, this yeah. this makes no sense to me. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it, it was third year in uh, Bob French's studio. Um oh, that yeah. he was just such a grounded individual and so practical. And, um, but also he really, he really wanted uh, us to, you know, push some things creatively, but he was big on the purpose and just Mm -hmm. however he presented it, it just, at that point, a light bulb kind of came on and I was like, oh, okay, now I kind of get this. And I think I might actually be able to be good at this. Yeah. So, you know, that, that was another little spark that, you know, as with anything in life, you know, if you're struggling with it, you're like, ah, this is, this sucks. I want to do something else. But, you know, once you get a little bit of momentum and confidence, you're like, all right, you know, let's really lean into it. You know, you know how it is. I mean, right. Like, I mean, you guys have kids, right. So, you know, there's kids that, that go to school like the first day and they already, you know, it's like they're already writing like a paragraph or whatever. Then there's other kids, but by the time they're in third grade, they're all pretty much the same. You know, it's like everybody has like gotten up to speed or whatever. The fact that one kid knew how to write a paragraph, like the first day of kindergarten, you know, doesn't really have any um, bearing on how he's going to succeed in life. And, and I think that like, really, until you get into the third year of architecture school, I mean, of course, 
unfortunately, they eliminate everybody the first, right? They eliminate 50% the first year, 50% the second year. So it's like the people that are left the third year are, are typically the people that, okay, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm doing well enough to get through, but I also in, enjoy it. Like, this is what I want to do. Yeah. Those first two years, it was more so like, I'm just going to do this and willing and enjoying definitely enjoying parts of it. But some of it, I was just mm-hmm. sort of will willpower over anything else to decide how I was going to approach it. Yeah. yeah. I had the third year professors was jo- Randall, Randy Jones and uh, Martella. And I got a lot out of both of yeah. those. Um, and that's that those two design studios were really useful for me. And one of them was the lowest design school grade I got in all of it. But I came out of that class with like, he, he I came and asked him about it. And he's like, he goes, you get it. He's like, but that last project, you didn't get it enough. And I think he goes, I think you actually see what it was now. And basically I kind of had some project that looked like the Hollywood bowl or something. And um, to be, and to be frank, like I had to look up what the Hollywood bowl was after the reviewer had mentioned it. I was like, I didn't know. I was like, Oh, it was that thing in Bugs Bunny that they hit and it vibrated for everybody. Like that and was which that Hollywood was, Bowl, right? Which Hollywood yeah. Bowl? The original Hollywood Bowl or the Frank yeah, Gehry Hollywood Bowl? Yeah. Original, <laughs> the, the original, original one, yeah. The original one. I, oh, okay. I don't think so they would. I think I would have gotten a better grade maybe if had I gone that other route. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I mean, it's not like you did that much, you know, there anyway. I mean, I like, yeah. you know, I, I appreciate Gary's work, but I don't think like, you know, right. That's kind of a big demand for a, uh, for like a club, like right, a ba- bandstand, right? You're gonna like redesign a bandstand. Um, so, uh, yeah. So, what are your three classic? What three classic buildings do you like, and why? All right. Yeah, this was. I I totally appreciate you giving us three. I probably could have just then you now probably rattle on past that at some point too during this if you give me too much space. Um, so the three I picked, uh, I kind of made. I wanted it to be a something I had visited. Um, so I felt that was important in this. Um, and something that it, it was just special in the experience of being there and what stood out to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and my first one probably could roll into a little bit of my first answer too, but it's the Basilica St. Lawrence, um, which is in downtown Asheville. And it's just a tiny little brick revival brick spanish revival um uh catholic church and uh it was designed by rafael gustavino who is famous for these herringbone like brick domed structures and it was when when i finished up my freshman year i was going to go work at a summer camp in new york and i had come home for a couple weeks and um an architect here in town who somehow knew my mom through uh, a teacher friend or something, you know, she, he's like, go, go, go hang out with him. And he just, you know, I hung out with him for the day and he says, go look at these buildings when you're downtown, just kind of take, just walk around a little bit. And I had never gone in there. It was next to the civic center. I'd been there plenty of times. I barely even could have told you it was a church next to it, but walking into this and experiencing that vaulted elliptical vaulted dome was just amazing. Like my eyes just went straight up. It was an experience that like, I don't ever remember feeling at that point. Like just 
that's how you create a space and and especially a religious space too where and I'm not a very religious person at all but it's it was one of those things that as you step into this space you you began to see what they were trying to communicate and how they wanted to communicate that to the people that were going to be using it it was just so impressive and even today you know as people come to visit Asheville and I tell you know what are, what are the things they're going to say and we have the Biltmore house here we have like you know Grove Park all these neat little I always have this on like that's the one downtown to go see like to start and walk into because it is just that special in space and so that's that's sort of like what you know I think you want architecture to do when you walk into it um and then a second one um that I picked out and I guess we're gonna I'm gonna go through my three and then Brad will do his three yeah yeah okay um and uh was the uh, Rustem Pasha mosque which is in Istanbul and Somehow I picked this over Hagia Sophia, which is amazing in and of itself. But I think, again, it had to do with the scale and the intricacy of what happened once, you know, you got inside. And it was, you know, the entrance to it, the way it addressed the streets, it was just it was just a lovely little setting. And it's off the beaten path a touch just in terms of like what you go see i think we found it through like i just saw like a little tiny image of it in like a rick steves book that my wife my wife loves those um and it's just like this little tiny image i'm like where is this i've got i want to go see that because it was just just a little picture but i was like that was enough for me to want to see it and inside of it it was just gorgeous the the tiles were uh, just probably in the best shape of any of the like ones that aren't sort of like the main like tourist attraction uh, Mm -hmm. type structures. And so that one, that was my second one. And it was, that was probably the toughest one. And then actually taken to the third is probably the hardest or not to sound cliche. And as an architect, we always sit here and be like, we want to show you something you've never thought of. You've never seen, you've never, you know, and I can't help that I kept coming back to this. Um, and it's honestly, I love going to see falling one. It is one of these buildings that like, you know, we feel, I think as architects, sometimes this need to be different and set ourselves apart and just feel like, oh, well, yeah, but have you seen, you know, the Pope Leahy house or the, you know, these other little ones to kind of point out as something to have seen or Kentuck knob, which is right next to falling water. But, um, having visited that in the fall, in the spring, during snow, during COVID, um, like it's just special the way it engages with the land, the, you, you can, it, it's practically been a century since it was completed and you walk up to this and you're like, when was it, it could have been done, you know, it could have been on the home tour. Like it, it, like it's, it's, um, just a masterful work. And for us to, because everybody knows it, I think it's, we're selling it short as for its, power and what it gives us as architects and um you know to communicate how how to treat a site and how to engage it i mean just the way it sits over the waterfall the stair that goes down the way you know they use the windows to open up and let the mist from the stream come up and cool things i mean just like there's all of these little amazing things to it that get overlooked or forgot about because everybody knows it and i think um not that I'm just trying to you know bring it back or something, but that I think that's a uh, a special building, and I think there is a, a 
classic nature to it that will always keep it there in the forefront of our discussion. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it definitely is, especially those of us that are in, you know, that are in residential architecture. I mean, there's there's so many things about that. And and like I've said on other podcasts, you know, about anytime anybody brings up falling water, right? You know, I grew up in Pittsburgh. I never went to falling water until I was already an architect. I was already an I architect, was... already a parent, right? And then... And then I went and I was like, oh my gosh, like why did I, I had been to Ohio Pile, right? I had been in that area yeah. before. I'd, I'd never gone to see that. And then, and then one of the, um, and then another time that I went, I went to see Kentuck Knob, you know? And so, I mean, of course, like between the two, I would, you know, I, I mean, falling water, right? That's, I mean, that, <laughs> I mean, there's definitely that, but, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I, I admire more of Frank Lloyd Wright's stuff now than I ever did before. I mean, just, just even as right. And I've, you know, I've interviewed um, Vern Swaback, who was like the first mm -hmm. apprentice for Frank. I mean, the youngest apprentice for Frank Lloyd Wright, right? So he started working at, at you know, at Tellyes and going to school there when he was 17 and like, and like Wright was like super mm -hmm. And then the other one, um, John Sather, I mean, he, he started there after Frank Lloyd Wright had already passed away. But, you know, I mean, just their stories and just kind of the whole thing. I mean, it does bring the connection. And, yeah. um, you know, there were a lot of ideas like he, you know, he did have a lot. I mean, he had a lot of great ideas. And and some people have kind of like one of my friends recently was saying like, oh, my God, I thought he was a horrible architect. And I was like, really, like a horrible architect? Like, you know, I'm like, I just don't, you know, and then he kind of rattled off, right, you know, like, oh, Le Corbusier is a better architect. And I said, have you have you ever been? to any of La Corbusier's stuff. I said, have you, did you ever go to Europe? He said, no. And I said, did you ever, so have you ever seen any of La Corbusier's stuff? And he was like, no. And I said, then how can you sit there and say La Corbusier's stuff is like, I mean, I've been to La Corbusier's stuff. I said, I don't think that I would say that it was, that he designs better homes or spaces than Frank Lloyd Wright. I mean, you know, but anyway, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, you know, I think it's a classic building. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, and I had the similar experience to having spent numerous summers of my childhood at my grandfather's hunting lodge, which was five miles from Falling Water, and never, not even brought up. Like, you know, we didn't go see it for sure, but it was never even mentioned. Like, it wasn't until I was in school that someone said, it's here, it's in this location. And I looked at the map and I'm like, oh, I, spent you know summers up there all the time and never heard about it so it's yeah it's amazing um you know and it's also i think architecture you know is nowadays also has more reason to go see it uh i think within the american conscience too like the, we're we're trying to you know there, there's more need, people want to get out there and see those things and not just kind of be like oh that's a rich guy's house or something like that and just yeah you know, ignore it for what it yeah. is well, even, I mean, it was kind of bizarre because like my parents had gone to see it. I mean, my dad had worked for an architect of some things and, and they never, you know, and I had expressed an interest in architecture and, you know, somehow they had never said it like, oh, let's go see that. Right. Like we would, we would go to Ohio pile. We like my mom and stepdad, we'd go to Ohio pile. We would do these things. And I don't know, like for some reason we never, we just never went to go see that. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe the tickets were too expensive or something. I don't think kids were allowed in it for a long time. 
right? I, I don't why. think that, yeah, I don't think that they were allowed. Yeah. I mean, like my daughter wasn't allowed in there. We had to put yeah. her in like some little daycare thing that they had there, you know? And so she wasn't, so maybe it was like, you had to be like 16 and up or something before you were allowed to go in or something. I don't know. I don't know. No, so Brad, what are your free, three, your free classic, your three classic buildings that you like? Having not ever, having not been to Falling Water, um, as Michael mentioned earlier, I felt like I needed to, you know, have a list of places that I'd actually visited. Um, I am, you know, a big fan of Frank Lloyd Wright. The, the book, The Natural House, um, was a was a pretty big influence for me. Just you know, him him discussing his concepts. Um, you know, it's it, the low hanging fruit is you know the compression release and um, you know integration into the landscape and the context. Um, so the, the, the first one on my list is, um, Ray Cappy's, uh, house in LA that I actually visited on, uh, um, we were at an AIA, um, convention in 08. And I think Michael and I were, <laughs> I don't know if you got, if you visited that house on the home tour at the same time, I think we were both at that conference. I was in, I was in San Francisco, so ago. I might've got, I clearly oh, San Francisco. Got no, I'm was, thinking it was the San Francisco. Oh, that's one. right. Um, that I went to. So LA, no, the LA was the um, was the Dwell Home Tour in 07. That's what that was. 2003. It was 2012. Well, so this so this was in 07. It was a Dwell Magazine had a conference um, okay. that was in LA. Um, so that was part of the home tour. Um, but some of the similar concepts of falling water, like one one thing that I really liked about um, the house was. It was just, it was so seamlessly integrated into this hillside. You you couldn't tell where the house started and stopped relative to the surroundings. Like it was, it was just beautiful. Um, also like that it, it, it really broke the notion of the front door for me. Um, Cause you walked up this little path and then you were underneath these big floating planes. Then you walked over this like laminated two by bridge, you know, over a Creek that ran under the house. And then the front door was just kind of part of the wall, you know, you just, you know, didn't celebrate it. Like, you know, a lot of houses that we typically see every day It wasn't front and center. Um, you know, it, it was an experience to get there and it wasn't about the front door at all. It's about the path that you took to get, to get there. Um, and now he used these concrete towers um, I think there were four of them that he you know, set into the hillside and those were the anchors um, and they were either stair towers or restrooms. And then he basically just floated the floors and the roofs off of these concrete towers so that there was minimal intrusion uh, to the landscape. So it just, it really nestled this thing in. Um, and then, you know, the, the rest of the, the rest of the work was so much wood detailing and cantilevered beams. There was just, there's so much concept in it, um, you know, between hillside and trees. And um, it, it was just beautiful. It, it also, it also felt a little bit like a time machine because um, it was you know designed in the sixties and you know, in the early two thousands, it still felt very much like a sixties home. I mean, the color scheme, yeah. the materials, like it was just perfect. Um, yeah. So uh, that, it, that, it was very memorable and influential. Um, and uh, I'm actually using that as a, a precedent for a house that I'm working on right now and certainly not knocking it off. But, uh, yeah, there's 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 a lot of things that we're shooting for um, to try to uh, 
try to get something kind of cool and unique. Um, I'd say the second one, um, <laughs> there's a few that were a little tough, but the Hancock building in Chicago, um, you know, I'm, I'm not a student of skyscrapers. Um, that's, that's not really my world. Um, but I remember learning about that in school. And then after visiting it, appreciating it a little bit more about, you know, the exoskeleton structure and how, um, just how innovative that was at the time. Um, and what express structure means today, you know, over a hundred years later, 120 years later, um, and how, you know, there, there's a lot of very famous, infamous, and really cool buildings where the structure is the point of the design. Um, so, you know, whether it's in residential, you know, or some commercial exposed beams, exposed columns, exposed structure, um, you know, is something that, um, especially with some buildings in Chattanooga, there's a lot of older historic, um, uh, they may not be historic, but older industrial buildings where, you know, we've all been to, you know, an old warehouse that gets converted into some other kind of modern or current use. And really the only way to screw that thing up is to hide the structure. You know, you want the old beams to stand out. You want the old columns, you know, you want the exposed, you know, 120, 150 year old brick walls. So, you know, to me that, that building is sort of iconic as a precedent that led us into, um, an area and a conversation where not hiding the structure was actually a design technique that was very successful and kind of beautiful, both in concept, um, you know, with being honest with the structure, um, and, you know, g giving us an ability to, uh, you know, think, think about, think about architecture as not having to dress everything up or, you know, put some kind of a finish on it, uh, just because it's not something we typically want to look at. Um, and I think the third one would be the Sagrada Familia, um, in Barcelona. And it, in, in a lot of ways it speaks for itself. I mean, it is just, it's beautiful. It's dynamic. Um, you know, being a religious building, and so incredibly innovative and, you know, the spires that are dripped sand, you know, are, you know, it's, it's, it's something else. It's, it's like nothing I've ever seen. Um, and there's a lot of it. I don't understand, which evokes a lot of feeling. Um, I like to think that after, you know, 20 plus years that, you know, I, I can, I can detail pretty well. I have no idea how the hell you detail that thing. Um, I also think it's pretty cool that uh, I think it was 1890 or so when it started, but uh, it's still going. Um, it's, yeah. it's this perpetual yeah. design that is always the hell of a Gantt chart that must have had. Yeah. <laughs> what was that? The Gantt chart. It must, have, must have been a hell of a Gantt chart they had there. <laughs> Well, it probably started with an abacus. Yeah. <laughs> like it's been a minute. Yeah. Um, so there, there's something, there's something about that that's really intriguing to me is um, sometimes I feel like the design of a building is not done until the construction is finished. Um, there's always an opportunity, um, even if it's in a small detail, um, to continuously improve um on a design and th there's a lot of times when budget 
doesn't allow you to do that or timeline or schedule, whatever that means. But, um, you know, I, I don't know if it's a, <laughs> if I would be afraid of something like that, that's so open-ended or if it would, you know, be inspiring and compelling to be like, you know what, whenever it's done is when it gets done. Um, but that's, that's not something that we typically see in our, uh, everyday, you know, experiences, even projects with long lead times and, you know, Gantt charts that, you know, can span the whole length of a conference room wall and turn the corner. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But being that most of my projects, like if they go longer than two years, start to finish, it's, it's just like, they just drive me crazy. So I don't know whether I'd be able to, um, do it i mean why not i mean i'd love to do like some type of religious structure beyond like the little stuff that i'll do for my church or something like that. Yeah. i don't i think it would take it a an immense emotional capacity to undertake something like that <laughs> well it would by today's right it would be in today's you know climate or something i mean I'm, I'm sure back in the day when he was just like yeah we'll just throw you know we just have a few drawings a few pages a few sheets of drawings and just go ahead sheets go of with drawings. It. yeah we'll figure yeah. it out he'll be there yeah. the whole, he'll be there on site pretty much every day anyways or somebody <laughs> working for him will be you know basically holding the the builder's hand because they're all they realize it's all a, a joint project but at, like it's so different than now that where they're like oh get the damn architect out of here let's just you know it's yeah, a, a yeah. Frust it's and, a frustration in general, but you know, and, and that was in a time where you know, I think Michael, I think that's very, uh, <laughs> that's very appropriate. Where like the the artisans and the craftsmen who were building these things, you know, were were partners in the design process. Yeah. You know, they, I think there was a trust level that's there that we don't have now, just because I mean, the construction industry is trade uh, has changed, and um, you know, trades are following uh construction documents that are stamped by you know um ahj or a fire marshal and following these drawings to the letter and held to certain budget and schedule constraints where you know it, it's just it's a much more straightforward linear process where mm -hmm. you know back then <laughs> I've, i'm trying to think of uh, a builder or a craftsperson that i could approach today and say so I've got some sketches, um, you know, somewhere between, you know, 80 and 120 year lifespan of this project. You want to get going on this thing? Yeah. You know, yeah. Just kind of craft this thing together and then pass it <laughs> off at some point when uh, we, well, did you, we uh, um, can't hold our heads up anymore. Like, I, yeah, I, don't, did you, I don't understand how that works. Did you get to, because um, we were talking about these, you know, people being outside and Michelle was talking about like, you know, Frank Lloyd Wright apprentices and stuff. Did you go to, were you there when the Edgar Taffel lecture came through? Um, I don't think so. And it might've been your freshman year, might've been sophomore year, but I, it was like one of the, like, uh, what was the brick company that sponsored everything? Um, anyhow, they, Shale, General Shale, uh, Shale. Like lecture series yeah. or something like that. But they had, but he came in and he talked about how he was on site every day for like falling water. Like he was the on-site architect mm -hmm. working through the details on it. And just some of the stories that he told about how, you know, Wright drew up the front elevation and they had a plan and it was him and another draftsman that basically finished the other elevations 
while Wright was going to pick up the Kaufmans at the airport and come back. And so it was like, we had like a day to finish these other elevations to show him. And it was like, he walks in without missing a beat, like goes, picks up each of the ones, knows exactly which elevations are which, and just puts them, this is this, and this is this. And like, just starts talking about the whole thing and the process. But he, you know, he talked about building, building with that. But then also he said, yeah, on site, apparently Wright would, on on the Johnson's wax house, I think, or something, he kept like making mm-hmm. the cantilever longer and longer. And he was like, no steel, we can't put any steel. It just has to be wood. And so eventually one day he's like, after Wright had left, he's like, I looked at the builder and he's like, look, we're going to put some steel in this, just not telling anybody. <laughs> and so they just buried it inside. Um, and I guess I, he probably died maybe five years, six years after that lecture, but he was you know, he was, it was an enjoyable one where he kind of just told the old stories of things that had happened. But that just reminds me of the way you're talking about those craftsmen and how they work together with the, the on-site architect. And that was what always happened there. Yeah, yeah. And having renovated a couple of houses when I was in Nashville and, you know, doing a lot of the work myself, um, you know, a lot of folks are like, you know, well, I assume you had it drawn and you just, you know, you did everything that you just was like, man, that's no way, you know, you had kind of a rough idea. But yeah, uh, yeah it, it was it was a design build all the way, you know, which which made it a lot of fun. But um, yeah, there's your take your takeoffs probably happened more so because of the drawings rather than like the actual details in it. Oh, whatever, man, that whatever that cliche is about, you know, how many times you go to Home Depot during a day, you know, <laughs> when you're working on a construction project yourself, like multiply it by I, I don't know, two, at least a two to three time multiplier. Just yeah. Home Depot was like two miles away. So it was just like, <laughs> all right, we're going to just get enough to get this and then we'll, you know, figure out the rest later. Yeah. 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 I think I think the shittiest drawings that that architects do are for themselves. Right, because nobody's paying for oh, this. Yeah. And we're going to be there making all the decisions anyway. So as long as we just have a building permit, we can, you know, the rest of it is, and we have a contractor that will, like, do right. stuff if we're not doing right. Like I would, you know, da- like this AT and T guy that's like saying, oh yeah, there's a foundation under there. I don't want to go near there. I'm like, I'm like, I know that there's no foundation under there because I built that, and I said there is no. I drew it. I built it. There's no foundation under there. You just don't want to go and move the line over because. we're currently working on a uh on a house design for um for myself now for my family and uh it's very important that i am clearly articulating what's going into this house with my wife um that is i'm i'm not drawing it for me or the contractor i i want her on board with this vision and uh yeah i think that mine because i could mine cares less about everybody's gonna be (laughs) <laughs> Mine cares less about the vision and more so about the budget. She's like, you get the budget in. I know it's going to look fine, which is like ideal client. But then she's like, but the budget's lower than you think it is. So we just need to, you know, figure out how to. <laughs> yeah. Well, there, it always there's a lot is. of uh, yeah. Yeah, like yeah, the, man- yeah. managing ourselves in a, in a small kind of 1500 square foot house. Now there's, there's a lot of things that we have to make concessions for and find efficiencies. So it's uh, I think it's more to make sure that we can have a, you know, a functional family abode, yeah. um, you know, that, that also looks good. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, you always want it to look good. I think that, that might be, La- that might laundry be the room is very That's important. The harder, quiet struggle. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm fit. giving myself a reprieve. It's, okay. <laughs> it's, it's not going to be our forever house. So I've taken some pressure off of it. It's like, all right, if I've, 
If I don't love how this thing turns out, you know, you're out of You can't, it can't really, I don't know. I, I, I can't, I think it can't really be a forever house because we're just, and if you do, then it just extends. Like I have friends, you know, it took them six years to like build. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, it's like, forget it. I, you know, it's like, I said, really the only reason why architects don't make up their mind about things is it's all budget. You know, I mean, like I was telling a neighbor, I said, you know, I went in to like pick out these paint colors. She's like, oh, which one are you going to go home and think about it? I'm like, no, it's going to be this one right here. I said, the only reason why architects don't make a decision is financial. And I said, that's the only thing that keeps us from like not being able to like do their own out and get it done like forever. Otherwise, we'd be building homes and moving into other ones and just doing that the whole time. Yeah. 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 That's that's what I think in, in, in my I don't know. It's like I would have like moved like 10 times or something. I would have built and moved 10 times by now. <laughs> if, if it was just about about money, you know. Mm -hmm. I've got so we've 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 got a different setting now with just the fact that we've moved back to family land and sort of mm -hmm. make so it's so there's sort of this kind of you know, getting it right becomes even more important because it's not like, well, I'm just going to sell it in a couple of years kind of idea that it's there's there's a lot more special and a lot more, you know, sense of this place, you know, to for the stuff I when I'm working on that now, as opposed to like when we were in Maryland, we're like, yeah, you know, well, will it could we resell it? You know, that was the question there. But now that we're down here and it's on the it's, you know, on the the old property, it's like, no, no, this is sort of a one shot kind of thing. Get it right or get it. It's, to a, a, point it's a legacy then, project. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it yeah. is. It, maybe yeah. that is my Sagrada Familia. Mm -hmm. but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's family in it, right? <laughs> now, and I think there's, I think there's something to be said for like this. This is the first time I've done a new construction project for myself. The two previous homes were, you know, both historic homes. So there was a certain framework that was in there that, yeah, like I mentioned before, yeah. like that, you know. I, I could screw it up if I wasn't just honest about, you know, what that home and the, you know, was and what it wanted to be. Um, mm -hmm. So there was a lot of pressure taken off there. Um, but now it's like, there's just so many directions to go in. It's like, I'll, yeah. you know, what I might, what I might think that I want it to look like uh, kind of it's, a, it ebbs and flows. So yeah. um, you know, finalizing what that is and what I want to be comfortable with is uh, has been a bit of a challenge. Yeah. And I think we've, we kind of think of that, right. We don't want to have something that was of the time that it was, I think with architects for their own, they're like, well, I want it to be timeless. Right. I don't want it to be like a trend. I don't want it to be, you know, I want it to be this timeless, you know, piece that I can like look and say, Oh, okay. It's just always been, you know, it's a good piece of architecture. It's just always been, um, you know, kind of, of like what architecture is a home is supposed to be you know, a home, you know, a home for someone to live in, you know, and yeah. it kind of goes around their lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what do you like being about being, what, what do you like about being an architect, Michael? Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I find, um, I mean, I, it's, you know, the creativity uh, and, and I combine it though, I, it's not without some frustration at times, but I don't know. I think a lot of my enjoyment comes from the fact that I am dealing with 
someone else is going to be another user in that collaboration, that um, that connection, that being able to put something on paper and you're kind of showing it to them and you know, maybe you pick some things out. But it's those moments when then they haven't been in there or haven't seen it and they come to it and they're like, oh, wow, this like just just it like everything, you know, even though they were saying, yes, I got it. Yeah, I think I understand. You know, it's still that seeing it, seeing it open up. And and um, I, I get a lot of joy out of that. And, I, you know, I I'm a big believer in community and sort of even like hand holding, especially with clients and stuff like that, because I want to take them through this process. I don't want them to feel left out there. And so I enjoy that connection, um, which I know might be a lot of people that are like, oh, that's crazy. But for me, <laughs> I, I find that um, quite fulfilling, um, even in the difficult moments, but it, it's, it, uh, I enjoy connecting with people, enjoy, um, you know, collaboration, working together and, you know, I don't think it's crazy. I think it's admirable. <laughs> that's what the, that's what I'm just I'm like thinking like, wow, I'm, I'm old. No, but I don't know. <laughs> I'm old and maybe I just should be doing like design build all the time. <laughs> no, I think, I think it's a very, I think it's a very good, uh, I think it's a very good thing. And I, I think that that is what a lot of clients, some more than others, you know, and, and I always, I always think it's nice when they see the space and then, you know, and then they're like, okay, I, you know, I, I'm, I understand. I understand why we went through this process. Yeah. I understand like why, you know, it's like, I, you know, a lot of them, they don't realize how long it's going to be. They don't realize all of the things that we, that we do. And we kind of have to have to know about them. Right. As opposed to like some drafter or something that's going to say, Oh, here, I can do this right here. You know, I mean, when, yeah. when a client, when you first meet them and they're like, well, what would you do? And I'm like, you know, it's like, well, I don't, I don't really know you yet. You know, it's like, I don't know what your needs are. I don't know. You know, it's like, I don't, I don't know who you are. Right. So it's like, I have to, I have to get to know who my client is in order to be able to design something that's just for them. And then that is, you know, that's the reason why we're architects as opposed to like somebody that's just going to like draw something and, you know, oh yeah, here, this will work, you know. And I also think for the builder too, to have us there, because I'm the first one when the drywall goes up and says like, it looks amazing, doesn't it? This is going to be a while. Like to try to just manage what they're, because then they're going to be bitching about, the, you know, the, the builder is taking forever. I thought it'd be, and you're like, no, this is, yeah. and so I, you want to yeah. try to, and I think that's what we bring as architects to that, the full process, not just here's mm -hmm. drawings by see you. It's here's drawings. Let me take you through this. You know, this is, we're getting it built. We'll be out there at some regular mm -hmm. interval. Let's, you know, work, you work with it and and bring the client along so that they see and feel that benefit of you being there. And I think that's, uh, you know, uh, again, that's uh, part of it. I, I don't know if this necessarily in terms of what I'm saying that that's what I enjoy part of it, but that's definitely part of it that I think is necessary and what makes their satisfaction in the end so good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Brad? So I'd, I'd say uh, very similar to Michael. Um, I really like the the client experience and it's with, with the project type that I enjoy. Um, it's a, 
it's very personal. Uh, I use the term romance a lot. And sometimes it, it almost feels like it's a, it's a dating process, um, you know, getting to know someone and, uh, you know, helping them you know, realize some kind of a goal or a dream. And I know that there's some architects and designers out there that don't like the residential side because they feel like it's can be sometimes like marriage counseling. Um, I, I really like the intimate nature of working with someone on something that is so specific and so personal to them. And I often talk about um, the local, locally owned restaurants, bars, and the boutique retail project type. To me, it feels a lot like a residential project type because those are those are owners that have a dream and starting a business. It's not their forever home, but it is an extension of themselves and something that represents them, and that they're they're really opening up and exposing themselves to the public commentary on whether or not they like this brand and this, this idea. So uh, the, the stakes are a little higher on it, but it, it's, it's a, it's a very, it's a fun and rewarding process uh, when, you know, like Michael mentioned that you, you know, you get to work with somebody and I think there are these moments when you get uh, a light bulb sort of turns on for them at some point. Oh, this is what this is looking like because they're they're not trained in translating two-dimensional floor plans to a three-dimensional interior however many 3d models you can build it's just not the same until you exactly. get into the space yeah so yeah. being yeah. being there for those moments when they get it and hopefully it exceeds their expectations is a, a, a very rewarding feeling and in general having something tangible to show for my efforts on a daily basis is very satisfying mm -hmm. and having something that you can show people um, you know, whether it's it, it's always fun to you know, meet at a restaurant or a bar that you designed to you know see people enjoying your work you know, accolades are nice but just there, there's a lot of satisfaction in watching someone enjoy what you helped create, uh, whether it's a home or some kind of a public realm building. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I mean, I think we kind of get so involved, right? We're like around other architects and everything. We just don't realize kind of how, um, you know, even being like at Best Buy last night with like good guys. And I said, yeah, I got to get this laptop right <laughs> Cause I have a podcast and they're like, you have a podcast. And the guy, <laughs> the guy like goes, that's, that's dope. And he goes, yeah, I've been here for a long. He had like this thing up like, Oh, six years. He was up there for six years. Of course, the reason why he's working at Best Buy for six years and the good guys is because he goes, well, cause I have my real estate business and I'm like, okay, there you go. Right. So he's, <laughs> he's, he's got a real estate business, but he's just like, like, I think, I think the good guys, you know, geek squad or whatever is just his, his sidekick. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, they're like, wow, like, what are you, what are you working on? Like, what do you do? You know, I mean, I mean, people ask you, right. It's like, right. it's like, if you say you're an architect, you're like, Oh, what do you, what do you, what do you design? What do you do? You know? Uh, the questions That's... lawyers never get. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did meet one, a, there was an attorney who's actually the husband of one of my kids, uh, somebody that my kids goes to school with. She was older going to art classes or whatever. And I said like, Oh, what I said, I said, Oh, what, 
I said, oh, give me, uh, I said, oh, why don't you give me your card? Because, you know, in case I ever need it, he goes, hopefully you never need me because I'm a criminal attorney. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, well, I said, in case I ever did, I would want you as my criminal attorney. <laughs> but yeah. Um, so what would you like to say about the future of architecture? I guess what I'd like to see, you know, I think it's the growth and the uh, connection to the public that, you know, we continue to work to be a benefit towards society and, and that we're uh, strengthening communities and, you know, working on a big thing for us is stewardship, you know, and that in how we, you know, not in like the heavy handed, you know, biblical stewardship kind of thing. It's more so in the, 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 it's, we're taking care of this because we want it to last. We want it to continue on. It's not to propagate for more money or something like that. It's, mm -hmm. it's that. And, and in the, and while we do that uh, with stewardship, it's also the idea of gaining a larger community. Um, I think one of the things that I, that really draws me to Crayon being more so a small practice architect too is that sense of community and that we're all there. And I think, you know, as we kind of take community, be it in the actual community, like how does that structure react to the neighborhood? Does it, are you knocking down a nice house where there's a great rhythm in the, in the neighborhood to put up some monster, you know, who might be theoretically in the same style, but it's just out of scale. Like that's not yeah. being a yeah. good steward. You know, that's not being mm -hmm. good to the community. That's not, you know, so it's it's addressing those things and maintaining those things and really keeping that in front of us as a profession that while, yes, we do have our main clients, it's also everything else is our client. You know, the land is our client. The the neighborhood is our client, you know, as, as we kind of work out and even, you know, how it affects us and how we, you know, choose to, to treat those things as well, I think is really um important and something we can't lose for lose focus of as a profession um and something i think we work really hard to do uh, with our clients and with you know the builders anybody we deal with you know that's always one of the first things i'm trying to talk about uh, is how we approach those things yeah and i think you know it's like we're the in the custom residential architects network i think a lot of people think that that only means like these huge houses on huge pieces of property with limitless budgets right and that's not you know it's it's designing a home for anyone you know it's designing within any budget it's designing you know with any you know scope of work I mean, that's really, we're designing for the client and we have many different clients. So. Mm -hmm. Brad? So I, I would say, gosh, I mean, there, there's a lot of good stuff in there, Michael. Um, we, I think as a, as a civilization, we have to take care of each other. Um, you know, I, I think architects and designers are, you know, we're, we're the stewards of the built community. Um, Michelle, your, some of your comments at, at CRAN um, about ADUs um, helping out with housing shortages and housing crisis and, you know, how those are managed when, you know, if they're being used as Airbnbs uh, just solely for profit where they could help a 
you know, a transitional family or a young professional have a roof over their head, you know, for a short period of time or as a longer term rental and what that means to our sense of community versus just, you know, a profit margin um, is very real. Um, you know, how we build for lower income communities, um, you know, not just providing a box, but a sense of place um, and a sense of purpose and pride. You know, even if you don't, you, I don't think you have to own the structure that's around you and over your head in order to have a sense of pride of uh, where you are and where you live. Um, yeah, exactly. And from, from an environmental standpoint, I mean, gosh, uh, we, there's, there's not going to be much point in building pretty things if it all burns down or is underwater and, you know, um, or a couple of generations from now. So, um, yeah, that's a, a, that has to be a top priority. Um, if if we're not around to enjoy it, there's no point. Um, and, and in that respect, I feel like there's there's some things with technology. Um, I, I wish the Southeast was a little bit more progressive with some mass timber um, and some more sustainable practices uh, for, especially for larger scale multifamily buildings, um, where I think some of those environmental impacts can really be felt. Um, you know, I'd, I'd like to see that progress a little bit more in my region. Um, and I'm also really curious about AI and even to some extent, social media and its influence in architecture and design. Um, you know, it, it wasn't that long ago that BIM was very new and, you know, a lot of designers hadn't adopted it yet. Um, I think it, there's an interesting caveat with AI in that, um, you know, BIM, BIM modeling, it was, it, it's more for the designers and the tradespersons to, um, you know, as, as a tool for production and sometimes, you know, and as, as well as design. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, you don't have the everyday consumer messing around in Revit and, you know, hey, I figured out a cool new way to model this roof like yeah that, that's not really what we're getting out of our clients um you know but with ai generation all of a sudden there can be tons of new ideas uh that are out there that could be precedent or they could bring on unrealistic expectations of what's available um could go in both ways but i think it's uh you know we, we have to embrace the technology um going forward you can't fight against it um and you know i, I think as designers, we have to learn when there's a new tool available, especially if it's something that the public brings to us, um, how to wield it, wield it responsibly and um, you know, do some uh, do some good and creative things with it. Are you seeing a lot of clients asking you for that or I mean, right, like I, I think in some ways. You know, I mean, people, when somebody brings you like 50 Pinterest in, images, you know, AI is just kind of like putting all of that stuff. It's that that doesn't necessarily mean that that's what you're going to give them. But yeah, not, I mean, how do you not get, yet. Like, um, haven't haven't really seen it. Um, haven't really seen it too much firsthand. Um, but, you know, there 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 have been some times where just in house, you know, thinking about. All right, here the, the client asked us to kind of envision something that has all these components to it. You know, let's throw it in the generator and just see what it comes up with. And it's like, wow, that's that's pretty awesome. <laughs> you know, it would have taken me a 
you know, a week and a half to just model something conceptually and Photoshop it. And it's like, wow, that just happened in, uh, you know, six minutes. So yeah, that's, that's pretty nice. Um, there's also a, there's been a practical application with, you know, let's say if it's an office layout, uh, with like a, a wide open um, area for multiple desks or like a restaurant seating layout or something like that. They've, they've got some pretty easy to manage software in there that like, all right, I can populate this large area, this banquet hall with X amount of tables based on this, that, you know, it's, it's not a creative process if I'm there. Well, it, it's still, I guess, kind of is a creative process, but it's a, it's more of a labor if I'm dropping these tables in individually, putting the right spacing, you know, it's just, if I can hit a button and generate something like that, you know, just to, you know, help speed something along for like a feasibility study or, you know, a seat count for, an, um, uh, you know, an ROI on a pro forma, yeah. then, yeah, it's like, that's, yeah, let's, let's save the client some time and money um, that way. Um, and so I, I, I think that that can be fairly useful, just thinking very short term, practically from what I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially like, if you're I, I mean, I, I'm not an, I'm probably less early adopter type of person. Um, and so, sorry, I dropped. <laughs> um, and so, um, and, and so I, I like, I'm intrigued by it. Um, and also the same thing, I think what I'd have to play with it, but I'm making an, a, an assumption here in this, but, you know, I feel like there's a, while I think there is some savings in some like remedial tasks, I still think it's almost like we're, we should, you know, be able to take where we've you gained those savings and incorporated that into the, a better design, something more, you know, the, the client saving that for something like it's um, when I, my initial job out of college, which, uh, didn't do anything really to much to speak of in terms of work, but it was something that the guy who ran our studio would keep talking about was that, you know, he would, he had done paper drafting and then moved into AutoCAD. And he's like, he goes to still convince, to still explain to clients, especially kind of in that, you know, East Tennessee area where that, that I was working in was like they're like, well, you got it on a computer now. It should be faster. And he's like, well, no, it's still, you know, you're it's it's still that there's a, an amount of work there that's necessary and it still is going to take the time. We're just able to do it better. But the time really, you know, some things might collapse, some things might be a little easier. It's like, you know, what I found with BIM is that I charge a lot more on the front end to do, especially when I'm dealing with like an existing structure, because I'm basically building one house in. 3d that i typically did it in you know i've got four plans and you know four elevations or something with it before and and you know trying to still explain to them that those things happen and and make them aware of it and i mean and you know my practice is still relatively new so it's something that i'm kind of learning and going like oh i need to tell them that next time um but regarding uh, ai i mean i think that's the one thing we I think there will be ways that we will save time, but we should still think of that time as ways to improve the design, not just to solely cut the the cost of what the owner is outlining. Um, because oh, then I absolutely. think we're not, we're not doing a service to the greater uh, community um, by sort of viewing it that way. And, and, and I'm, 
I would say where I felt like I worked in the past one time, before, you know, that that might have been the approach with AI. Like, oh, here, we can get past this. We can do this cheaper than everybody else and we're just going to do it. And then it's, is the design that great once we're done with it? And that was, that was frustrating to me. Um, mm -hmm. So that, yeah. so, and, and so I could see where that could creep in you know, and maybe I'm playing devil's advocate and not being uh, as open and like, you know, this is going to be great kind of attitude. But I think I, my only concern is something like that, that it, it lessens the product that comes out in terms of how the public interaction happens. Cause like Michelle said, the, you know, you get 10,000 Pinterest boards. I have done that with clients and they come back and I'm like, I have seen five different things in each one of those pictures and it's not what they saw yeah and that, yeah that's yeah that's exactly like, you know yeah. it's like or i'm saying oh, no, no, like no. i just like this big window here exactly. yeah, yeah <laughs> this like, one this one I'm thing like, and i'm like no no, no. I mean, that's why i'm like 10 10 and i want you to put what you like why yeah exactly thing. why yeah. that that yeah. why is a big one because like yeah. yeah i'm like this is traditional you said you wanted modern and they're like oh no i just wanted you to see this little detail of the wood i like the yeah wood. You know, yeah, yeah. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Thank you. I had to ask, but you know, it's it's one of those things. So um I think AI is definitely, I mean, just watching the, the presentation we had at Cran, I thought that was, I mean, it, you know, some people might chalk it up as a mm -hmm. thought experiment or something, but I found it uh extremely enlightening. And I love the idea of especially in an alternative material where we're looking at something more sustainable, how that can speed the process up. You know that there that there's a lot more of the test that testing side of things, I think is also a, a strong point for where for, strong argument for you know why we would do uh, AI. So I mean, yeah, and I mean, re you know, research into other into other materials into other things. I mean, is that gonna you know can that help us with you know with issues of sustainability and every? I mean, you know, I mean, I I thought that that whole thing because. Because it was, you know, I mean, really what people, you know, they're not paying for, you know, our services are not a product, right? They're services, it's a process, you know? Yeah. And so what people are, you know, really have to realize, you know, it's like, yeah, they could get plans from like some other thing. They could get plans for that. But with us, it's, it's process oriented, you know? And mm -hmm. so that whole, you know, their whole, um, you know, their whole continuing ed seminar was kind of based on this whole process of them like working, you know, in, you know, in a collaborative environment, you know, to come up with something and, and really be saying at the end, like, Hey, we didn't come up with the final product. You know, we're still, we're still moving ahead in this process. And, and, you know, yeah, it's that a was, test kitchen almost. Yeah. Like, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. And that's, I mean, and, that's what we need more of, you know, because so many things like, you know, people see HGTV, right. It's like, okay, we're going to do this for you, blah, 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 blah. We get it done and, and see how fast we got it done, you know? And, and like I had made a post. Minutes. Yeah. 30 minutes, 30 minutes. We're done with the show. You know, we're gone. And so I had said yesterday, you know, I went into the building department and I'll go into the building department. They always have like HDTV going. And I'm like, why do they show HDTV when none of these people get building permits or they don't go show really show any of the process, but, or, you know, can AI help us with a building permit process? Like if we didn't, you know, right. Right. Like let's, let's bring that up to them. Like if we could, you know, we would no longer have to explain to them that this roof overhang is bigger on this side than it is on the other side, which I had to do for, 
you know, for this ADU of my own, right? Like it was this big, long, complicated thing to like tell this person that was in intake that, you know, where my, you know, what was the roof overhang? What was the part of the structure? Da, da, da. You know, what if it did just, you know, blow through and, and do all those things and could perceive that like, yes, this is a plot, you know, you know, right. or sometimes where they just throw a general yeah. question on it, like, where is this? And you're like, it's right here on this page. Why'd you put it there? Oh, that's just in my, mm -hmm. nobody puts those on there usually. I'm like, yeah. It still doesn't yeah. give you any right to make me have to do this, but it's like, they just assume yeah. they're like, just so they get it through the review step. Yeah. Um, but we, we can have a whole podcast on the building department, couldn't we? Yeah. Yeah. Michael, as a, you know, as, as a small business owner yourself, and I, I think you and I have had some conversations on this, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate with, uh, with our office that we, we've got some good designers in house. So, you know, having, having the ability to bounce some ideas off of one another is something, you know, that, that we can do, but I, I can see, I can see a value in, in AI as, you know, almost a, a collaborative tool for some smaller shops where, I mean, it's, it's hard to not get stuck in a certain rhythm, um, especially if it's a, if, if you're working on a, a similar project type um, consistently and, you know, kind of going back to your useful tools and um, yeah, just ha having something that you can quickly think about something a little bit differently. Um, I feel like could be um, a helpful advantage and you may actually, it may actually be like, oh yeah, that's actual, that's garbage. Um, I like what I did, you know, just, it may be confirming <laughs> you know your natural design instincts but um you know it's that's just well, it's a, also i mean i could see it too where it's like okay here's your site plan like you're just you gotta this site what's going to maximize these spots you know what what do you see when it's a this shape just you know and sort of like going yeah. through those different areas roof and i think you know i think there's something to be said for roof iterations and stuff like that i again i'm not always an early adopter <laughs> Uh, in technology, I, I, I'm not sure why that is. I've got a guess, but um, uh, it's just, um, you know, I, I kind of want to get a good feeling of what it is. I mean, I jumped when I started my company. That's when I also just jumped into BIM. I had never used it throughout my career, but it beat the other option of having to sort of like bounce between a 2D and a 3D software that we were using or you know that i had used so in the what, past. what, pro what program do you use i use archicad software. um Which one? Yeah. archicad oh yeah 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 no i yeah, yeah. I, per, I mean using yeah. that with with I, the bimax is the the ability to give a client the sort of model after the meeting to sort of play with and look at has been helpful and i think they see a lot of justifications and things that i did when i've you know, when I show them that and that they're able to take that away mm -hmm. from it. So, whereas, you know, you can't, at least I don't know of a way to do it yet, it's hand out a SketchUp model for them to sort of play with and spin around or understand why. I mean, the nice thing about it is you can kind of just model one room and it's done. You know, it's, it, there's, there's some simplicity in doing something like that, but uh, most of the stuff I'm trying to work on also is where it, we're going to have to model the whole thing. Um, mm -hmm. And it makes sense to the, just the process for how the client views it and how how everybody's looking at it. Yeah. 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 Well, that's good. Mm. Okay. Is there anything else? 
I think we have covered a lot. Um, we can do it with, you can always do a part two. I can come up with three more houses. Um, <laughs> you know, the post, the post next year symposium, we can do it um, one year apart, you know, just do it that way. Oh, I, know. I can't even, you know, it's, it's, it's like, it's like getting done with like a big project, right? When we yeah. get done with these symposiums, it's like, oh my yeah. gosh, you know, like what the hell just happened? But I, I thought, I mean, I thought it was, I, I liked going, you know, I like going to the Cran symposiums. I mean, you know, yeah. it's, it's harder to be involved in like the planning of it, but, um, and then also enjoy it, you know, and a lot of times I feel like I'm, there but then i don't really get a chance to it enjoy it or or you know it's like i'm trying to have a conversation with somebody but then i'm like pulled away you know because i have to go yeah. get somebody's lunch or something but you know it's like it's but um i'm i'm glad that i met you guys there i think that it's a great place to you know to meet other people who are doing residential work and kind of kind of talk about that and um you know, I, I think that it's, a. Uh, um, yeah. I had a good time. Did you guys have a good time? Yeah. 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 Meeting, meeting some of the other folks. I mean, every year it's, I mean, it feels like summer camp, you know, I've got my, <laughs> my favorites that I met the year before and then meet yeah. some new folks. I'm like, Oh man, exactly. I like too. You know, you're kind of building this collective network of just, Awesome, fun folks. And I, I, I like the residential designers. Uh, just it, it's a, you know, like we talked about before, it's it's a personality kind of thing, you know, that we're we're not all working on different types of civic and industrial and state work buildings, um, you know, and it, it's even though everyone has their own flavor, I think there's we have such a common thread that it's easy to start a conversation and really dig into um you know, something with, uh, with someone that you hadn't met before and get to skip a lot of the, uh, the small talk and just get into, Oh yeah, I love that kind of stuff. And then we, you know, everybody pulls out their phones and start showing pictures of stuff they're working on and 3d models and things like that. And it's, uh, it's just fun. It's easy. Yeah. Yeah. It's way better than like, you don't feel like you're miss, you're not included in the club when you show up at the bigger conferences and it's like, okay, well, this is a, I work for this, you know, initials now it used to be a bunch of people's names or something but it's like yeah there's you know and one of a hundred and we you know and they're all kind of hanging out like it just you know there it there's it's just so much more inclusive and and you know the fact that everybody's passion is very similar like and just you know it's uh the first one I went to was Santa Rosa and that was like and I was still working as design studio manager for a, a design build company and like I came I left there and that was you know, 2016. And I, I was like, oh, I feel like I could start my own company after this. It was just like, it was so, um, so invigorating and so, you know, affirming of like, of all of the things you want to do and seeing people there who are doing that. Um, mm -hmm. I think is really important. And, and then, you know, once I finally did two years later, I made it to Cincinnati and that's when I, that, you know, I think I filed my LLC like a week before um, I, went before the symposium so I just and so I did meet you in Cincinnati and that's what yeah. Neil had told me Neil Neil had told me like oh yeah we met him in Cincinnati and I was like oh, we did I don't know that was like the first symposium that I'd been to I just didn't I was like still kind of like you know what's going on and yeah yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. So Neil, yeah. And, and like Neil, that, you know, we hadn't seen him in a couple of years. I mean, it was great. It was just, again, it's like, you know, he's one of the people that like, he walked up to me and I was like, Santa Rosa. It's like, he looked at me funny. And I was like, so how did, he's like, how did you know? I was like, yeah. He's like, you look familiar. I was like, we had dinner, you know, in Cincinnati the second, the first night when we didn't have any setup uh, dinners or anything like that. We just, yeah. 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 So, yeah. No, that's it's, funny. A, it's a special thing yeah. in a special group. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Oh, I'm going to stop recording. Thanks and for having we'll... us on. Thank you.